Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You're listening to the Alonement Podcast, a podcast that celebrates alone time. It doesn't matter if you're single, in a relationship, or somewhere in between. Alonement means valuing that all-important me time. I'm your host, journalist Francesca Spector. Each week, I ask a new guest about the time they spend by themselves and why it matters. My guest this week is author and Love Island star Camilla Thurlow. Part of it for me has just been learning that alone time doesn't have to be something that I do simply because I don't want to do anything else. Alone time should be a choice that I make because it has good reasons and because it will bring something to my day and to my life. Um, as opposed to cutting myself off from the world because I'm too afraid to interact with it. Camilla Thurlow is a reality television star, humanitarian worker and author. She is best known for being a contestant on Love Island in 2017, finishing in second place with her partner Jamie Jewett. The pair are still together and are expecting their first child later this year. Before Love Island, Camilla worked as an explosive ordnance disposal expert for British charity The Halo Trust, travelling to the likes of Zimbabwe and Afghanistan to remove landmines and other explosives left over after war. Her first book, Not the Type, is out now, published by Bonnier Books. It's a memoir centred around Camilla's experience of gaining strength through confronting uncomfortable and, in many cases, unlikely scenarios, from bomb disposal to reality television. Camilla, welcome to the Alomen podcast. Thank you so much. Very exciting. <laughs> I want to start by congratulating you, but honestly, I don't know where to start because you've got so much going on. By the time this podcast comes out, you've had your first book published and you're expecting your first child with Jamie later this year. Yeah, it's a big year. <laughs> 2020 is a big year for everyone, I think. <laughs> So I've been lucky enough to be catching up on an advanced copy of your amazing book. And there was one part that really resonated with me from the perspective, especially of this podcast. Um, you write, somehow I found my way into places where no one expected me to be. And for me, that has made all the difference between what I've done and what I was expected to do. But Along the way, I often felt very alone. With that perspective, what does the words alone mean for you today? That's so interesting. I think, oh, it's tricky because part of me looks back and realises that the times when I felt alone, I was actually choosing to be alone. Like I made very distinct decisions along the way to put myself into situations where I almost would be out of place. And so as much as those times were difficult in some ways, I don't necessarily always associate them with being lonely. I associate them more with a time where I perhaps took on a lot of 
on myself or put myself under a lot of pressure. Um, but they were also the times where I grew quite a lot as a person. And so maybe I, I guess that's, that could potentially sound a bit negative. But when I look back, I, I feel quite strongly that they were quite necessary, those periods of time. Um, and sometimes I, I did struggle to, to kind of distinguish between loneliness and being alone. But it's easier, obviously, in hindsight to recognise what, you know, the times where I was around people but felt lonely and the times where I had expressly chosen to put myself in a position where I would be sometimes judged on my own merits, I guess. Like I would try to avoid being generalised. Um, and then sometimes just that I, I wanted to know what, what my capabilities were or I didn't want the the idea or the fear of being by myself to stop me going into certain areas that I thought maybe would be a good experience for me. That's interesting. So that makes me think of another part of the book where you say that you have actively looked for discomfort in your life. Obviously, you know, the book itself is called Not the Type. Do you think, you know, discomfort for you was that being outside of that sort of comfort zone for you that you could be in? I think it definitely spurred me on and I think I realised quite quickly in my life that actually being in a position of comfort didn't necessarily suit me. In fact, I would start to feel, I would feel lonely more quickly within an environment of comfort because I just couldn't seem to engage with it properly. Whereas when there was friction or difficulty or discomfort, it, it made me feel closer to myself. It gave me a situation where I had to learn more about who I was and what I could do. And um, and it gave me a chance at like looking at the future and seeing different versions of myself. Whenever I was kind of following the path that was set out for me, it felt like there was just this one predefined version that I could become. And she felt quite alien to me. She didn't seem like the person that I thought I was. So to think that I was navigating along that path was really scary. Whereas when I was in areas of discomfort or when I didn't know what the future held, there seemed to be a greater chance there that I would end up feeling like myself, even if that meant <laughs> that along the way it wasn't going to be that much fun sometimes or there would be mistakes or failures, which of course there were loads of. I still felt closer to who I actually was when I was um, when I just wasn't in a position which was simple or straightforward. When you say who you actually are, you know, do you think are you defining that as that a sort of internal like a soul thing, or you know, who, who is that self, and how do you recognise it? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't, I don't quite know how how we do define it. But for me, it's that idea that I'm allowed to change or be different in different moments or on different days um, and get to know like a fuller version of myself, I guess. And it's very tricky to do that when you're constantly being stereotyped because you're always having to fulfill an ideal that's already there um, and already mapped out for you. Um, so I don't necessarily, I mean, I wouldn't even say for a long time, I've said I don't know myself that well, but I think I got a bit confused with knowing myself and knowing what type of person I was. And actually, I do know myself quite well in, in what things will upset me, anger me, what things I'll find difficult. I just didn't realise that that was part of a multifaceted person and that was okay to be. Um, I thought knowing myself was knowing the stereotypical version of myself. Um, and actually, it's just been coming to realise that I can have a bit more acceptance of these pieces that felt quite broken. But actually, they all, you know, they all piece together somehow because that's who I am. So who is who is Camilla Thurlow? You know, the 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 alternative example of who you could have been. Where, where would you have been if you just followed along in you know, what your type would have been expected to do? Yes, that's such a good question. Do you know, I think about this loads now where I could have ended up. I th I just think I probably would have followed a pretty straightforward career path. Um, and 
you know, I don't really have any comprehension of what exactly that would have been because I, it wasn't like there was nothing else that I particularly desperately wanted to do bar the job that I did end up doing. But had I not had that opportunity, I think I, I would have just moved into something else and then gone through the kind of stages of the ladder. And, you know, I, I wonder if maybe I would have felt at this age that I didn't have very much to talk about with with regards to myself and it's not that I do because of what I did but I just feel like although it's not seen not seemed like the most traditional path and there's been lots of people who questioned it along the way maybe now I look back and think oh you know I wouldn't have been any I wouldn't have been any further along with my life that was the thing the idea that kept being sold to me was oh why are you going off and doing something different when if you do this you'll end up in this particular place with a you know stable job and I guess like a stable relationship and things and I don't think those promises are true I think it's just an idea that that kind of traps you in a life that's maybe not I don't think it's really worthy of people I think it is that thing where you're sold that two-dimensional view of success and I, I just think I wouldn't have been very happy if I'm honest I think I would have been outwardly I would have been maybe successful in a traditional way but I don't think I would have been very fulfilled. In your book you speak about that quite a lot because you you know you say and I'm going to quote again because I just <laughs> adore this book that you know I wanted my life to weave an unruly path through that wild garden to write my own future as I went if life was going to be unpredictable and chaotic then so was I. Your book is titled Not the Type. So, you know, as someone who breaks the mold in so many ways, you weren't the type to work in bomb disposal, or you weren't the type to go on Love Island. Is it important for you to motivate other people to do the same? Yeah, I think what's most important to me is that we have some kind of recognition now that there are these false promises hidden within fulfilling a stereotype or fulfilling an ideal as it's presented to us through various avenues now but of course we've mainly got social media which is showing us almost like a perfect idea of life and I just think it's really important number one I mean so when I wrote there that life was chaotic and unpredictable it totally is you really I think we really overestimate our control over life and what we can actually do. And there's so many other things that are going to happen that are going to throw you off course. So you might as well take a bit of agency and choose your own course. Um, And yeah, and of course, and yes, second to that, I think with that kind of forum for comparison that we do have now on social media it's very easy to start to look at life as if you're making a series of mistakes that's how I felt for so long that every time I sort of moved away from what other people thought I should be doing and then that didn't work out then they considered what I'd done to be a mistake even if it had been years of learning it was still I'd chosen a different path and then that path hadn't worked out. Um, And we're constantly being scrutinised now everywhere, but particularly on social media. And so it's just being able to give yourself a bit more freedom that a decision that you make two years ago that's not working out for you now is not a mistake or (laughs) a bad decision. Um, It's part of the learning experience and it's just guiding you on to a a new path that's better for you um and we do change so much like I can't even that was one of the things I found so hard about writing the book was looking back at this younger version of myself and sometimes I couldn't understand her decisions I was like what were you thinking um we do change and something that was right for you before won't necessarily be right for you now um so that path that straight path that you popped yourself on isn't necessarily going to be the straight path that you imagine. So just, you know, give yourself a chance to make decisions off your own back. And just because a decision then doesn't work out in two months, six months, a year, it wasn't a mistake. It was just part of the process. 
I think that's so important. I think especially, you know, in your late teens, in your 20s, you feel like you're committing to a whole life with, you know, every A-level decision or, you know, every small, you know, every, every job that you take, everything seems to define you. And I think knowing that you have that capacity for evolving is very important. Totally. And it's that thing where you're almost almost drummed into you that you should be afraid of of um changing your mind but actually surely we should be far more afraid of sticking with a decision that's wrong <laughs> and just blindly following it through because that's you know we're taught to be afraid of standing up and saying actually this isn't this isn't right or I think I've got out of this what I can get out of this or I was I was just wrong. My younger self didn't know how I was going to feel in three years time. Cause how can you ever know how you'll feel about things? So, um, yeah, I think it's important that we, we try and separate that, that fear of wrong decision-making, um, from just having the option to learn a bit more about yourself, learn a bit more about the world, change direction. Do you think there's also though a slight irony that, Obviously, you know, you went on Love Island, you were scouted for Love Island, as you, de- as you describe in the book, and you came out and you found your partner, Jamie, um, on, on Love Island, a show about finding love. You know, that's, that's as much, you know, a straight path as well as any reality TV show could offer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm not going to say that life won't throw you a few lucky opportunities here and there. (laughs) Hopefully it will. And hopefully it does for everyone. But equally, I would like to think that I would always look back on that experience because when I went into Love Island, I had experienced quite a lot of social dislocation. And I went on with the express intent of kind of reconnecting with the people around me and a bit more with myself. And that happened as part of the process of the show. So from the start to the end and happened because of many of the people that I met on the show. Um, And in particular, my friendships with the other women on the show really played an instrumental part in bringing me out of my shell, um, in just giving me a few pieces of myself back. And and so I think uh, as much as all the outcomes do look incredibly positive and they were I still think even if they hadn't if things hadn't panned out as straight and narrow as they have that I would hope that I would still look back at that experience as a good one and that's why I think it is so important that we don't disregard the experiences that maybe start out well but then end up not being quite what we hoped because that doesn't take anything away from the good things that came out of that um, so yes, I do. I yeah, I do totally understand what you're saying. But it's I guess it's just trying to look at as at things that happen in our lives. Look at all the different dimensions to it. Um, and yeah, and I'm incredibly grateful. I'm so lucky that things <laughs> turned out the way they did. Um, but I was also lucky for a multitude of other reasons that Love Island gave me. That's, I love that you acknowledge also the power of female friendship, because I think, you know, the 2017 series, especially that really, really came out. It was a sort of lovely message actually to come from the show. And I think that, you know, we focus a lot on romantic relationships. So I love that you acknowledge that as a huge part of why that show was ultimately very positive for you. Yeah, definitely. And and that's true for life as well. Like I am so incredibly lucky with my female friendships and I'm lucky with all my friendships but I have a particularly close-knit group of um, friends female friends who have just been there through the ups and the downs the highs and the lows and that was one of the things that I found tricky was when I came back from work working abroad and I felt displaced from that group because those were my they were my people they knew me better than anyone it's that thing where you suddenly feel out of place amongst those who know you best that can be so tricky and that can happen for so many different reasons for me it was just that when I when I used to go away I I couldn't bear looking at social media or keeping in touch because I felt like I was being 
pushed out of a group and not they weren't pushing me out it was me perceiving that I don't know having that worry I guess that you're always kind of worried about as people move on and make new friends um I just found it really really hard I didn't really know the dynamics of the group anymore I didn't know who was seeing who what were the big no-no topics what (laughs) what were the things to chat about I just lost my way a bit in terms of how to interact um and and so love island was kind of maybe a step in in what it took for me to feel more comfortable again but equally the woman who i was surrounded with prior to that and afterwards have remained the same it's the same group that i'm absolutely best friends with and have seen me go through these highs and lows um and yeah and they're the ones who kind of I think even now would would understand best what I say when I say that sometimes when I want to be alone I, I it's not to do with um it's not loneliness for me to be alone like that now out of choice but it was back then when it felt like I was out of place within the group that's interesting and I think it's really important distinction I I want to come back later because I know that you identify as an introvert so I, I want to come back and quiz you about that important alone time so when you're talking about work when you when you worked for the halo trust and you were part of a bomb disposal team you were of course so displaced geographically in that you were all across the world in Zimbabwe and Afghanistan you were also the only woman on many of your assignments. What's it, what did all that feel like from a loneliness perspective? Yeah, such a good question. It's really interesting because being displaced geographically, I found very, very interesting for a number of reasons. I love, I love traveling. I love learning. Um, in some places I would work with a translator and I found it, I found one of the hardest things was um, missing those bits of communication that are more, uh, more kind of conversational. So the comment you might make as your boss leaves the room or something to each other or, you know, grumbling about something, missing that kind of communication, missing those social moments. I started to realize actually has a really big effect on how integrated you feel within a team. Um, And then when I went to Zimbabwe, actually so many people spoke English. um, And I, that was the first time I realized how much I'd missed before in the years preceding that when I'd worked in other places, how much I had been missing simply just by not speaking the language. and yeah and there was an interesting thing that sort of happened as well where I started to feel like I tried to make myself kind of um well I I used to have a Scottish accent not a strong one but a bit of one and when I was working through translators the Scottish accent isn't the easiest to understand so (laughs) I started to really it's not um so I started to really be take so much care over how I spoke and you really don't when you're working in explosive ordnance disposal you really don't want an instruction to be translated wrong because it's dangerous you know that's the main thing you want what you say to come across exactly how you've said it and so I took everything out of the words I was saying anything that could color it anything any kind of emotion and I made it as factual as possible and as clear as possible and I tried to say it in a way that was as clear as possible And I think there was this sort of shift that I began to see in myself where I I didn't really feel, when you're communicating like that all the time, I didn't really feel much connection to the words I was saying. And I felt like I was just becoming this malleable person who could go from place to place, which is really advantageous when you're working all over the world. But it's quite strange. Like I felt I was growing distant from my past self, but also wasn't going into a new version of me I was just becoming an adaptable version um so yeah that I think that is one of the key things when you're moving around 
it's language barriers and you know all the kind of social cues that are different and I'm not <laughs> I wasn't like I was ever good at reading social cues and I think maybe that's a British thing sometimes that we kind of expect people to know what we mean without actually communicating it particularly well um so I didn't always find that that easy before but particularly when I was going to new places it took a lot for me to assimilate the information to understand what the social dynamic was it's definitely not one of the areas I was skilled in and so often I would be afraid that I would get something wrong and that would mean I'd almost distance myself more or I would keep myself very closed off I'd only contribute or I'd only say something when I knew it was right I'd only act if I knew it was correct I just kept myself very tightly kind of condensed down and just did what I knew could be interpreted in the right way and yeah so that, and that was over time that probably isn't a great way of interacting with the world around you because you're not necessarily having the interactions that really fulfill you as a person who should communicate with other people. There were occasions where it was tricky being a woman. Um, and part of that was because attitudes to women do vary a lot across the world. So you might go from one place where it was right to do one thing and then go to another place and it would be tricky again to pick up exactly what would be acceptable. Um, and that was tricky because I didn't necessarily have a person that I could turn to who'd been working there previously and ask, what should I do? Because I was working with predominantly male staff. And so just sometimes it felt a bit like, not that you're drowning, but that you're having to find these, these ways through quite complicated situations without an archetype without necessarily people around you understanding what you're going through. I think that was the other thing is sometimes, you know, I'd be told, like you said, I am introverted, so I am quite shy and I am quite sensitive, but I really knew in a professional environment what I was doing most of the time. And sometimes I would be told, oh, you just should be more assertive or you should be louder. Um, and that didn't actually work for me in many places. You know, sometimes as a woman, it wasn't acceptable to be uh, within, or it wasn't um, considered normal for a woman to be within certain conversations or delivering certain information as the leader. And you just have to learn how to interact with people around you and make it work. And that was fine. I was happy to do that. But sometimes if you're told, oh, you just should be louder or you just should be bossier, that's actually not the right way of doing it. You can find other ways to, to interact and get the right results, but you just have to learn them. And that wasn't always necessarily easy for the people around me to understand because they weren't experiencing the same kind of problems, I guess. Wow, uh, that is a lot. <laughs> All of that, it just sounds so heartbreakingly lonely on so many different levels as well from, you know, from a gender perspective, from a almost a loss of identity perspective, having to change your whole accent and even just the way you speak, you know, speaking in that, as you say, very functional, but that, you know, that way that wasn't necessarily a force for connection, um, emotional connection with people. Also, I imagine that was a very scary time as well. I can't imagine how anyone would have been working around landmines and not have felt scared on top of all of that. Um. That's well, you have to have, I guess, a healthy level of fear. That's how I always talk about it in that you must follow procedures correctly. Um, and you've got to be aware that you're working within scenarios where if you do something wrong, there is a risk of injury or death. That's important because it means that you continue to do everything right. Um, because you've maintained that level of understanding. What what's sort of more scary is if if people start to lose that sense of fear altogether. Um, so I I felt like it was important to maintain a balance. But in all honesty, that was the part of the job that I loved the most, that I got the most fulfillment out of. And when I talk about how I kind of 
maybe change my accent or sometimes I felt very alone in the environments I was in or that I struggled to find support. I was so, I just loved that work so much, like so unconditionally that that to me was a real, you know, that was fine to give up kind of that other side of things. I was never that sociable anyway. I quite liked this idea that I could be almost like a little worker bee and just do what I was meant to do. And I liked the structure of that. And um, and yeah, I, I to be honest, I don't, when I think about that time, the thing that always scared me more was getting something wrong within a social setting and annoying the people that I worked with, some of whom I just respected so much or wanted to be like so much, rather than actual <laughs> fear of, um, of any of the work that I was the practical work I was doing and you know part of it was that it was work that suited me as well I'm quite good at following rules and <laughs> regulations and just getting things done and I found that so satisfying and you could really see the effects of the work as well and that was important for me I feel that that to me for so many years was what I used to fill any other spaces I had inside me that was what filled me up and I didn't you know I pushed aside a lot of personal relationships because I felt so strongly about what I was doing and I loved it so much and my real fear was not doing it anymore and or not you know not being good at it and that was why this that was the only reason the social side ever really became important to me again it was I needed to be able to interact so that I could become better and better at what I did. Wow. You know, I, I think that's incredible to say, you know, to say you were in that kind of environment where, yes, I think everyone would imagine one scenario, one, you know, one sort of quite narrow view of just being very scared of your day-to-day -day work. But as you say, it was all, for you, it was all about that competence um, and, you know, in, in just achieving so much and it really it reminds me of a part of the book where you say that I have I overachieved in everything bar human connection and actually as soon as my life stopped being measured by grades or prizes I felt mm. lost do you think that that came to play again when you sort of were worrying about those human connections when you were away working for the Halo Trust for sure that's that's you just hit the nail absolutely on the head like before that I was in these structured environments, you know, you go through school and university and I, I would do the things that I knew would get me the results and feedback that, that looked good, if you know what I mean. I'd do the work to get the grades at university if there was a project. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. That wasn't going to contribute to my overall grade. I didn't do it. But I did really work really well when it was something that was going to be marked because that's what I was interested in. It was very performative how I worked my way through life. Then I went into this charity where it wasn't performative at all. You know, there's you had to the competence level that you needed to have was all to do with getting the right results. But there was no congratulations for that. It wasn't about trying to prove anything to anyone anymore. It just had meaning in itself. Um, and that really suited, I mean, it just, it completely changed how, how things worked for me. So it really suited me in some ways. But then in other ways, I think I was always looking for a way to, I don't know, to prove myself to the world around me. And so when I could see that people would look at me and think, oh, yeah, she knows what she's doing. But then not necessarily, I wasn't necessarily interacting with them in a way that meant that we kind of had this, this great personal relationship. I think I started to realize that that was like a gap in my skill set. And it wasn't just a gap that I think before that I'd assumed that that gap only hampered me. I thought it was only a negative for me. So yes, I wasn't going to be the most sociable or the most popular or the funniest, but I was the one who had to deal with that. It wasn't going to be very pleasant sometimes. I was going to feel a bit lonely sometimes. But actually how we interact with other people has, we should see as having an impact upon them as well. You know, there were the people around me that I wanted to be able to, to kind of, I guess, you want to nurture people in a way and you want to be able to to have a two-way relationship and my interactions with people were incredibly one way i tried to do what would people please them and i tried to do that within the safest framework possible and in doing so i just meant it just meant every relationship was such like a so top level it never went deep um so yeah, I think that was probably what I was realizing over the years. But of course, I'm saying that now, <laughs> like such a benefit of hindsight. At the time, I couldn't quite pinpoint why I, you know, why I just didn't seem to be able to entertain these strong personal connections. Of course. And okay, so you went, you started working for the Halo Trust when you were 23. Yeah. Um, and you then went on Love Island at the age of 28. So there wasn't much of a gap, really, was there, in between leaving the Halo Trust and started going on Love Island? There was a little gap because I went and did a contract with another charity in between. Um, and I had just come back from that contract with the other charity when I received a message that I thought was like a... <laughs> a fake message being like would you be interested in talking to us about a tv show um so yeah I think I mentioned that in the book so there was a little gap um but I had filled that gap by going and working for another charity mm. so it was quite an abrupt change um of environment yes <laughs> do you think that going on Love Island after that period do you think that was when you started to be able to have more meaningful human connections that weren't necessarily about being competent at your job or you know pleasing other people yeah I I think about this quite a lot I definitely think it opened up 
that side of me again. I definitely, I think, I mean, even going into Love Island, I kind of looked at it as being like almost quite an extreme, immersive way of um, being sociable again, because you just have no choice. Um, you're in a villa for seven weeks, you don't go anywhere else, and you're around 13 to 15 people all the time. Those people do change a little bit, but you're around them all the time, and there's no TV or books, which are like my normal escape <laughs> to avoiding kind of social interaction. So I knew I was going to have no choice but to do that. So I do think it it kind of it broke down some of the some of the walls that I had built up. I then think I had to make a really concerted effort to continue on that path because I it is just so easy for me to run away from that side of myself and that side of things. I have a real fear of um social interaction and i i definitely there was a decision i had to make kind of post love island that i was going to keep working on that side of myself and i have been back and forth with it and up and down with it in the last three years um and maybe this year i've started to feel a bit like i've made some headway but that's you know that three years of trying to 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 find ways to manage my fearfulness um and I, I you know I wouldn't even say I'm there <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm there now but I guess that's you know it can't be a destination it's got to be an ongoing kind of project I suppose <laughs> thank you for sharing that I think it's it's so true and you know when I started this podcast I actually Funnily enough, I come from the absolute opposite perspective um, in that I used to be such an extrovert. I'm still an extrovert, but I used to be such an extrovert that I was terrified of any time alone. So I had to unlearn that. And that's why I created the word alonement to just have, you know, it's a word for when alone time is valuable and not necessarily happy every minute, but, you know, it's regenerative and it's fulfilling and why I love speaking to introverts about this is that I'm saying all this and they're sort of nodding along and saying, yes, this, this came naturally (laughs) to start with, (laughs) which is really, you know, it's such a valuable perspective. And, you know, I, I've, I've learned so much from introverted behavior as well. So, you know, I want to also say that I think that that can be a really valuable state and, you know, it's, it's a real, it's a balancing act, but yes, equally, I think that it's so important for introverts and extroverts to sort of respect that in one another. Totally. Um, I think the one thing that I know that I did got a bit wrong in that balance is that my, the reason I was introverted came as a result of fear And so a lot of the time I would spend on my own, I wasn't that happy. But I was so afraid to push myself out of my comfort zone that it took me either an uncomfortable environment or people to do it. So even now, if I can avoid a social event, there's every chance I'll do it. But I need almost like people in my life who will be like, no, come, you'll definitely have a good time. I have to like be pushed in that way. And then I do. Um, and, you know, I think there's that real difficulty where people know I like alone time and that I embrace it and I do. <laughs> <laughs> but equally, I can be my own worst enemy and give myself way too much alone time and leave myself for far too long in my own head. And so, there are people who I have almost like they've had to be they've had to be the ones to push me out and make sure that I do keep interacting with the world around me and as much as I'm so grateful to those people I don't think that that works in the long run that's when you end up kind of relying on someone to be your source of happiness um, or to know what's best for you and I think it's just so important (laughs) for me to to know what's good for myself as well, to realise I've spent too long being by myself or to realise that I'm just avoiding an event because I have a fear of the start of it or something. But Mm -hmm. if I go, I'll be fine. 
um, and to have a bit of faith in myself to to have these social interactions um, because you can't you know there's not always necessarily going to be someone there to give you that push in that right direction and who are those people at the moment who help bring you out of well it's a cliche but help bring you out of your shell <laughs> and then sort of push you towards these social scenarios definitely Jamie because he is really sociable um and like the life and soul of the party <laughs> <laughs> um so you know that's that's definitely been good for me but equally I don't want to build a dynamic into my relationship where you know that he has to kind of be the one who instigates us us socializing or or even it's so nice to have people who support you when you go out who say we you know you're feeling a bit nervous don't worry or something but I don't want I want to be able to rely on myself to kind of decompress and to to stop myself going to the kind of cycles of fear um and and yeah so there's many I mean some of my best friends but also my sisters are really really good at it um and my mum's really good at it and I'm just very lucky that I do have those people around me but I know that it can be quite draining to to constantly be kind of having to support someone who you know I can I can do this I've got to believe in myself at some point that I can do this and and some days it's easier to do that than others and that's it's always nice to have those people on those days but I want to be able to uh to be like yes I'm introverted but I know that I can socialize as well I know that that's not as scary as I'm making it out to be I know that part of that's constructed in my own head that all these things that I'm afraid of are things that are often never going to (laughs) happen I want to be able to recognize that side of me as being you know sometimes helpful and sometimes a hindrance and be able to confront that when I need to um so yeah I think I'm but but for many years I mean that's literally last couple of years that I've sort of come to speak to myself like that before that I would just listen to myself so if I if in my head I was going no I'm too scared or oh but I'm not going to know what to say or I'm not going to know anyone there and who am I going to start a conversation with then I'll go, okay, well, just don't go then. Give yourself a break. Now, when I start saying those things, I try and talk <laughs> talk back to myself and be like, okay, but, you know, you do actually know someone there or we'll go up and just ask them a question about themselves and, like, try and t- explain back to myself why I've gone, why, why have I created all these unknown what-if situations already when they haven't happened yet? Um, <laughs> so I try and be a bit more... I try and be the person that I used to crutch on. Wow. I think that's so powerful. I think for introverts listening to this as well, I think that's such powerful advice. And as you say, it's a process. And it's amazing that you've sort of taken that more active role, um, sort of, as you say, speaking to yourself rather than simply just listening to that <laughs> instinctive fear. Do you, do you find that, so alone time... Do you find it sometimes hard to justify in a way that doesn't feel guilty or are there times when alone time is simply just quality time that you sort of can always, always justify to yourself? Yeah, that's such a good question. I think, I think I probably occasionally overdo the alone time and I do start to feel a little bit guilty about it because I know that I'm sort of pushing it to the limit where it stops being necessarily useful. But then again, the times which I, I, I find alone time so important, like I have to have alone time every single day. Um, I guess what I have learned in the last few years, I know it's maybe not literally alone time, but the people who I feel closest to are the ones where where we can have alone time (laughs) together um so you know you sometimes you'll get a message that a friend's coming over and you'll be like right a bit get the house sorted and you know we'll have to you know it'll be chit chat the whole time and sometimes those situations they can be the ones that either worry me or I might feel like I I haven't got the energy I don't know because I find to be sociable it takes so much of my 
energy because I go through the whole fear process. Then I go through the social situation, which still has fear in. And then I do an aftermath where I um, dissect everything I said and worry about it. Um, but then I have friends who text and say they're coming over and I'll know that we'll probably sit on either end of the sofa and watch a film together and maybe say a couple of words to each other and then they'll go home. I think part of it for me has just been learning that alone time doesn't have to be something that I do simply because I don't want to do anything else. Alone time should be a choice that I make because it has good reasons and because it will bring something to my day and to my life um, as opposed to cutting myself off from the world because I'm too afraid to interact with it. So sometimes I know it's good for me, sometimes I do feel a bit guilty because I'm doing it for the wrong reasons, which is, yeah. That's interesting, that distinction, that almost, um, you know, I live alone and I miss that about living with flatmates. It's that low energy interaction that you describe that you sort of, you know, you can have that companionship, but not really, you know, need to make the, the big, the effort and then sort of worry about it. Yeah, or you can say the wrong thing and you know it doesn't matter. That's like, I mean, oh, that, one of my biggest problems with social interactions and with talking to people was because I was so afraid of saying the wrong thing for so long, I'd say nothing. And actually you need to build up that rapport so that the day when you do say the wrong thing, they're like, <laughs> like it's a joke or, or you don't feel embarrassed or you think, oh, well, that was just a silly mistake rather than you being kind of like, oh my gosh they're going to judge me forever on that one comment and it was not what I meant or I said it in the wrong way you know it's um making a fool of yourself or getting it wrong in front of people is really important to being able to understand that 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 relationship is strong enough to withstand ups and downs mm, yeah it's that almost uh it's that almost sibling relationship where you yeah. can sort of just laugh at each other or you know that the, the stakes are you know really low <laughs> yes yes exactly exactly so what does if you were to plan in a, if you were to plan a night in by yourself what would that look like in terms of like the most the best quality time you could have alone that's, that's a really good question i think on on a a night that I, if it was a night that I was using as a night to just let everything go and recuperate, that for me very often means um, uh, reality TV because I find it such an easy way to escape into someone else's life. Um, I find it emotional enough that it draws me in because they're real people, but then I find it light enough that it leaves me feeling like I haven't I don't know that I've just had quite a a break from my own brain for a few hours um if if it's like a precious night you know you you get them every once in a while someone's gone out and you're like I want to make the most of it quite often then I'll read because it's not always something you get to do so much um I guess it depends also though whether my we have two dogs so it's whether they're here or not because when they are here alone time slightly different because they're always wanting something <laughs> barking at the door or whining um but yeah I don't I mean I I think I'm so accustomed to alone time that it's kind of rare for me to plan anything special within it it just for me is part of my life it's something that I can't live without and I as much value Sometimes like the 10 minutes I have to get ready in the morning when the dogs are out, outside or something as much as maybe a whole evening on my own. Like I just have it inbuilt into the day. I just know that I can't, I can't keep up interaction at all times. Hmm. Um, I love, the <laughs> I love the idea of your dogs always being about wanting attention. <laughs> They are the most attention-seeking dogs. And they're even worse now. I think they've got so used to us just being around them constantly because obviously we've been in the house the last couple of months consistently mm. that now I literally I'll just go upstairs and they come running after me to see where I've gone. <laughs> I'm not disappearing anywhere. Um, yeah, they're not into alone time. They're very, they're, they're um, 
they're not very good at separation at all. I think one of our dogs gets quite bad separation anxiety. So we're very um, very careful about that. Aww. I know. It's lovely to be loved that much. <laughs> no, oh, that's so sweet. I have read about separation anxiety in dogs so much recently, especially with um, I guess yeah. everyone going back to work and you know people are saying, "What am I going to do with my dog?" I know. <sighs> Lots of sad dogs watching their owners walk out the door for the first time in months. <laughs> and with with motherhood just around the corner for you, yeah. How do you feel about that in terms of alone time? Because that's going to be a big shift. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. I. So interesting because I feel, I know I'm not that far away now from uh, the end of pregnancy, but I, I still feel like I'm on a bit of a journey with it all. And I think that's because for me, this especially the early parts of pregnancy I just started to see mothers everywhere but not in that like sort of traditional you've got to have biological children way I just started to realize what women who are capable of nurturing are able to do and how strong you have to be and it was I mean it took me pregnancy to realize that but I don't think that's true of many other women to be honest I think most are capable of it I have a real fear of emotions and and I find emotions very overwhelming and I'm not good at entertaining a positive and negative emotion side by side so especially in the early phases where sometimes there's a bit of fear and at the same time there's overwhelming happiness I just was having to learn how to do that how to hold these things together um and that is something that i think is true of of women's role in society that they're expected to be able to hold kind of very complicated difficult strong emotions at all times and i started to see it you know there were friends who i had who had jobs where i they'll just work all night. And even at times where things are really hard and really bad, they just love it. They love, unconditionally love their jobs, love what they do, love their careers, nurture those careers. And I hadn't got it before. I, I think I sort of thought, well, if something's that hard or making it that difficult for you, how can you still give it 100%? But it's them being able to feel all those different sides of it and still give it everything um and the same with like you know there are there are people who have just put so much or shown so much joy and happiness to us in terms of our path even if their own path um with motherhood is difficult and that again takes such immense i don't know just this this strength to be able to to give that to people to hold on to that and to embrace all those different sides of what you can feel and to take the positive and negative emotions and have them together and I it just really reframed I, it, I feel embarrassed in a way because it did take pregnancy for me to be able to start to feel like that and to learn to feel like that but you suddenly see it everywhere around you and I don't think we I don't think we celebrate enough the role that women take on as nurturers in our society in so many different ways and how much strength that builds into so many different aspects of life, be that motherhood, be that, you know, the professional environment. Um, and that's been, the, for me, the last few months, that's been much more what I've, the journey that I've been on, the way that I've started to feel this kind of commonality with people around me, who aren't necessarily on the same journey or the same path, but just seem to have this thing in them that I didn't realize was there before because I didn't have it. I mean, that's, that's so terrible that because I was blind to it or I was fearful of it, I couldn't understand that ability to do that and how much it gives to everyone else. And so I wonder, I don't know what it's going to be like I I never anticipated that that would be my pregnancy journey. Not ever. I couldn't have ever 
realized that I thought it was going to be completely different but I'm so glad it was what it was and I'm so glad that I feel this way about how I see the world around me now um, and so yeah I think there will be huge transitions to be made in a few months time and and I don't know what I'll be <laughs> what I'll be like but I I don't feel alone on that path and I don't think you know I yeah that's quite a nice thought for me and yes I know there's going to be some tough times where I probably would like a minute's peace but that's different that's like you know that's what everyone kind of needs in their day somehow but I don't feel alone on this journey at all and I feel like it's opened my eyes up in a way that I just didn't realize that it would at all. Like I couldn't have possibly anticipated that. Um, and yeah, I'm just so lucky. I feel very, very lucky to have met so many women who are mothers in so many different ways and have brought so much to my life, bring so much to other people's lives. So yeah, I feel, I don't know, it's just totally like, I, don't, I can't really explain it because I, fi I find it quite emotional because it's this thing where I feel so sad in a way that's, that all the things that mean that women can do that kind of this compassion and vulnerability and this, this desire to, to be empathetic have been seen as weaknesses when I the amount of strength it takes just to try and balance those feelings, to be able to, to do things that way is almost unbelievable. So that, that for me has just been a complete revelation and it, you know, it's taken this year to teach me that and I'm so grateful that I have learned it, but I'm so much more grateful to all the people who've just been doing it all along because they're great. <laughs> Oh, that is such a beautiful answer. And I love how you speak about being, having that sense of connection to nurturers on a, on a wider level, not just biological mothers, but, you know, nurturers, women, and all the, you know, all the thing that, things that defines being a nurturer and, and giving that, you know, that empathy and that kindness and, um, you know, the, that um, sort of selflessness. Um you know, saying saying all that, do you now, having experienced that sense of community, do you now feel ready for it yourself? Um, I don't know if I'll ever, I never feel ready for anything. Do you know what? I never feel ready for anything in my life, but that doesn't mean it's not a good idea to try and, to try and do it and to immerse myself in it. And and what I do feel confident of now is the fact that I can see how many, how many people are really there to help you. You just have to stop being afraid of that relationship. And it's interesting because I sort of realised that a lot of the ways I've behaved in the last kind of 10 years are really selfish and not even being able to, the thing of not being able to entertain extreme emotions wasn't inherently selfish I was protecting myself constantly and I'm having to let some of those walls down because that is this the only way I'm going to be able to be able to take on the role of a mother um, and that's very scary for me but because I can see how many people do it do it so beautifully do it in so many different ways with so many different dimensions I feel you know I feel inspired by them and I've always tried to go into realms where I feel inspired by the people um, and that's it's this is just another another iteration of that and it will be very scary and I don't think I'll ever feel ready but I don't feel you know I feel like that's I've got so much to learn and I've got so much to learn from so many different people and I've now finally started to crack some of the barriers that stop me from learning from others because I didn't let myself have that commonality with them. Camilla, I feel so inspired by you and all the you know, all the humility you show and you know the honesty in the face of all the amazing roles that you've completely 
aced, you know, being a bomb disposal expert and you coming second on Love Island. And also for me, just being one of the most inspiring feminist voices of the last few years, you know, and also, you know, everyone will know this once they get their hands on your wonderful book, but being an incredible author and writing with such emotion and such openness. And I just know that this new role for you as a mother is going to be so wonderful and you know so and oh, <laughs> learn so much and be able to you know pass that information on to so in in that only in that way that only you can communicate so well so thank you so much no, thank you so much so nice to talk about this kind of thing I absolutely love it and I love your podcast absolutely love it so it's thank such you. a privilege to be on here <laughs> So this is the final episode of season two of the Alonement podcast. Recorded during a summer of lockdown and over remote recording software while I myself was isolating alone. I feel so absolutely privileged to have spoken to all my inspiring guests about how they were navigating this strange old time. The question of what it means to be alone both physically and emotionally has never been so relevant as now. For me, like many of us, time alone has proved a sanctuary to process the events of the past six months. However, it has also been a time that made me appreciate more than ever the power of connection. A huge thank you to my amazing lineup of guests on this series, and to everyone who's been in touch with kind words about the podcast and the alonement concept in general. Finally, I would like to announce, or indeed pre-announce, that I have some very exciting alonement-related news to share with you early next month. I'll be taking a short break from podcasting, but in the meantime, I will always love to hear from you on social media or via email. You can also head over to the alonement.com website and sign up for free to weekly newsletter updates about all things alonement. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.